happened one weekend when I was in 10th grade. That was the weekend that I developed a love-hate relationship with mustard. <laughs> true. True story. Now, my mom had taken a calculated risk by allowing me and one of my friends to go off by ourselves for the weekend. So we packed up in his dad's truck and we headed to Reinhardt College up in North Georgia for a Christian music festival. So we were behaving, it was a Christian music festival. And we went and we had some sort of idea about how much money it was going to take to get there. This is before gas prices went completely outrageous. And so we were able to get there and saw that we had enough gas to get home. But we quickly discovered that music festival prices for food were not going to work long term with our budget and what we had available in our wallets. And so we decided after the first night of concerts that we would go to a local store and pick up some supplies to get us through the next couple of days while we were at this festival. So we went and we found the only place open in this entire town. I mean, you know, it's, it's late. It's like 9.30 at night. And so we, we go and we find this place, and they've got bread there. I think they've had this bread since Reagan was president, but they had bread. They had bread. They had peanut butter, which my friend was happy to eat peanut butter. And they had turkey and mustard. So he got some peanut butter, we split the loaf of bread, and I got my turkey and mustard so that I could enjoy turkey and mustard sandwiches for the duration of the weekend. Well, something else happened. The turkey ran out. And when the turkey ran out, and I had to keep eating to get myself through the weekend, I was forced, with no other option but to have mustard sandwiches. And so I had mustard sandwiches, so you can imagine why it was this weekend that I developed a love-hate relationship with mustard. I love the fact that it helped sustain me through the weekend. I kind of hated the fact that that was all I had to eat. And so, it was this weekend that was a lesson in budgeting. It was a lesson in what really constitutes as substance in food. And it was a lesson in survival. And as I reflect on those lessons learned, I'm faced with a question which I also find to be very relevant to our scripture today. And that question is this, it might even be relevant to you. What is the one thing that you think you cannot live without? What are, what, maybe there's more than one thing. What are some things that you think that you cannot live without? Well, I had the privilege a few weeks ago to go to a church social media conference. That's right, a church social media conference where we spent all day long talking about how to communicate as a church with people in the online world. Because the real world isn't confusing enough. We have to figure out how to talk to people in the online world as well. It's an important thing. There are a lot of people who are more comfortable in that realm than they are actually in real life. And so we, we spent time talking about different things to know about the online world. And it, it was interesting, though, that the thing that impacted me the most from that entire experience, you would think it would be something very cutting edge, very recent, some recent study, but it was actually a quote 
from a book written in 1726, which took my breath away. Some of you might remember the book Gulliver's Travels. Anybody read that when they were growing up? I see some people angry, angrily shaking their heads. Uh, and I see some people raising their hands. But Gulliver's Travels was a story about this guy named Gulliver, who went and went to all these different lands. And one of the lands that he went to, and I may get the pronunciation wrong. In fact, when I, when I shared this in the contemporary service a few weeks ago, I actually had a sixth grader email me the correct pronunciation of it. And I'm still probably going to get it wrong. The Lilliputians, the Lilliputians were the little people. And this is what they said, and this was the quote that was shared at the conference that had such a profound impact on me. The tiny Lilliputians surmise, these were the little people, surmise that Gulliver's watch may be his God, because it, because it is that which he admits he seldom does anything without consulting. So every time he would go to make a decision, he was looking at his watch, looking at his watch, and to people who didn't know what a watch was, they looked at that and said, that must be his God, because that's what seems to guide him. Now, the reference at a social media conference, if I can get this out of my road, is that this, in 2014, if you were to be transplanted onto planet Earth into North America, and you were to see us walking around, you would see people constantly consulting their phones before they do everything. And so it's in this realm. In fact, they, they said at another presentation that if you leave this at a restaurant, it takes on average 90 minutes before you will turn around and realize you've left your money. If you leave this at a restaurant, it takes about nine minutes before you realize that you've left your precious phone. This is money, people. But this, in the eyes of so many people, is survival and one of those things you cannot do without. And so it's within this context, within this context of, of needs and wants in our world today that there seems to be a little bit of a blurred line going on between them. And it's hard to distinguish what's a need, what's a want, What's the one thing that you think you cannot do without? Now, necessities are one of those things that really come to life when we enter the season of Lent. And we've been going through this series, Who is Jesus, during the season of Lent. And Lent, historically, has been a time that people of religious faith, of the Christian faith, have given something up. It's a season of self-denial, that we prepare ourselves for the cross by laying something personal down. Now, my wife Emma has, has a co-worker who she knew to be religious, and so at, towards the beginning of Lent, they had a conversation about what each of them were giving up for Lent. And, and Emma said, is there something that you're giving up for Lent? And the co-worker responded, you know, actually I'm not giving anything up for Lent, but what I've done since the beginning of January is I've done a series of 10-day fasts. And my response to that was, Ten day, series of 10-day fasts, that's really just one real long fast. If you fast for 10 days and fast for another 10 days, fast for another, I was just doing the math. But actually what she meant was she would abstain, fast something, abstain from something for 10 days and then switch on to another thing. So for example, for 10 days she would go without watching TV. 
For another 10 days, she wouldn't use the internet. There were some interesting ones that she had done. She went 10 days without spending money. I'd be doing good to go 10 hours without spending money. So I commend her for that. She also went 10 days without using her own transportation, only walking, biking, or using public transportation. And it's when we go through these periods of denial that we begin to realize some things about ourselves, the things that we once thought might be necessities, we begin to realize maybe we could do without them. But then we also begin to realize the things that we really cannot go without. Now, some things that we turn to, some things that we point to as our source of need are good things. And some of them are of God, and some of them are not. And I believe that's really a lot of what Jesus was dealing with in our passage for today. Now, the crowd has come to Jesus, and as Charles alluded to, Jesus has recently done a miraculous thing, a couple of miraculous things, several miraculous things. But immediately right before this, he has fed 5,000 people with merely a few loaves of bread and a few fish. A multitude of people with just a little bit of food, and Jesus was able to provide for all of their needs. After that, Jesus walks on the water, another pretty cool thing. And then he's waiting there as the crowd comes to find him, and they want another sign. They want more. They want more of what they've already received. And what Jesus does, and it's something that he does throughout the Gospel of John, is he takes their concern for a physical thing. And he says, I think what you really might need is something spiritual. And so it says in verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's pointing out that they have come to him because they have received physical provision. But then he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Many years ago, there was an expedition that took place down in South America in the jungles. And the group that was on this expedition, they were traveling. And as they were traveling along, they began to run out of food. They began to run out of supplies. And they realized they weren't going to be able to get back without getting something to eat. And there wasn't a convenience store nearby so they could make mustard sandwiches. And so they turned to the only thing that was available to them along the path. And it were these berries. And so they started to consume these berries. And as they consumed these berries, they realized that their hunger went away. And as they ate the berries, they all felt filled and able to continue in their journey. But before long, they started to get weak. And eventually, some of them would not even make it. And what they realized later is that those berries, while they gave the appearance of satisfying their hunger, had no nutritional value to them. They were something that sustained them short-term, gave the illusion that they were being provided for. But it didn't have the power to sustain them long-term. And so in our passage, as we wrestle with this idea of turning to things that only satisfy for a while, Jesus says to them, those that want bread, he instead wants to offer them life. And so Jesus makes this claim. 
in verse 35. And it's the really crucial claim as we've been looking at this question of who is Jesus. For this week, this is the crucial claim. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, what's so significant about this claim? Well, for one thing, he trumps their longing for more with something that will last. They were talking about the manna that used to be provided from heaven. But Jesus says the manna lasted for just a little while, and then it spoiled. Don't work for food that spoils. Work for bread that will sustain you for life. And he says, I am that bread. I am that thing that will sustain you. And then in verse 51, we hear this spelled out more clearly. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. A few weeks ago, uh, Tim, our senior pastor, and John Horton, our other associate, and I, we gathered together every Monday to talk through our sermons. And we were at the beginning of this series, and Tim and John were sitting there, and they were really excited because they were preaching that upcoming Sunday on where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a great passage. Jesus is the way, and they were like, we can talk about salvation, we can talk about all these wonderful things about Jesus, we can talk about truth, we can talk about the way, we can talk about the path, and all these fun things, and, and they're getting really, really excited, really, really passionate, and I'm just sitting there with my head hung low. I said, y'all get this this week, and then I've got to go up there with, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And it was just a little disconcerting, and I'm like, how did I draw the short end of the stick? And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting passage. It's a weird passage. And in fact, in verse 60, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And I wonder what was so hard to accept about it. Sure, it's a, it's a bizarre thing when someone says, I am the bread of life. Bless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. It, it's, it's a confusing thing to hear. But this is what I believe is actually the hardest part of this to accept. It's that Jesus has the audacity to suggest that maybe the thing that would sustain them in life is not the thing right in front of them, but it's Christ himself. That beyond all the things that they turn to in the tangible world, Jesus chooses to remind them that He is the thing that will last. And so, John tells us from this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. Jesus looks around and He says, You do not want to leave too, do you? He asks the twelve. And then Simon Peter answered him with a, with a bold question. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I believe in the midst of all these things that we cling to in this world, the things we, we put over here and say, I can't live without that. 
in the midst of everything that we turn to for our source, I believe that Jesus is calling us back to a place where we would look to him and say, that's the one thing that I need. There was an American evangelist who was traveling to a third world country. And as he was ministering there within a community, he began to realize that the pastor of this, this poor church recognized what, what many of us probably know to be true, that that American evangelist had resources far beyond what this poor community could imagine. And so the pastor would, every time the evangelist was around, the pastor of this church would, would start dropping hints. You know, if we could just get some money so we could do something in this field over here. You know, if we could just get some money to, to get us a new roof. If we could just get some money to, to build a new building over here. And he kept going on and on and on with all these things, and the evangelist just politely would walk away. The evangelist continued to minister in the community for a few more days, and he started really teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit and relying on Christ alone. And after one of the services, the pastor of the church went up to the American evangelist with tears in his eyes, and he said, we don't, we don't need all these things. What we need is Christ in our midst. And so, the question for us as a church, the question for us as individuals, is that there are things that we need. Tim alluded to this earlier. There are going to be things that we're going to be called on to, to help out with to repair on our church plant. There are things that we're going to be called to help spruce up, things that really need attention. But there's a reminder within that that unless Christ is at the center, everything that we do is in vain. The psalmist said it this way, unless the house is built by the Lord, the laborers labor in vain. And so we have a real opportunity. We have a real opportunity as a community of faith, to do something bold, to do something courageous, and to do something that will, will really position this church to minister to our community and to reach people for years to come. But with that challenge as a reminder to keep coming back to the one who is the true source of life, the one when we turn to everything else in this world that we can turn to and say, that's the one thing I cannot leave without, live without, we turn back to Christ and we realize to whom else could we go? For in Christ, he has eternal life and the words of truth. And so we come together each week and we experience Christ through worship. We experience Christ through the hymns that we sing, through the prayers that we pray, through the messages that we hear. We experience Christ through devotion, through our times of feasting on God's Word, of reading the Scripture and letting it come alive within our hearts. And then, once a month in the case of this church, we come to the table and we take part in something that Christ instituted before He was even crucified. We take part in the Lord's Supper 
where Christ invites us to this table so that we can partake of his heavenly feast, so that we can take the bread and take the cup and experience the presence of